0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state health department reports a spike of COVID-19 that did not stop the governor from announcing most of Florida is about to enter phase two of the recovery.
1: I think we have an opportunity uh, to continue to move forward in a safe, smart, step-by-step approach. I think it'll give more people in Florida more opportunities, and um, you know, I think, it's, uh, I think it's the right way to go forward. So uh, this is going to take effect this Friday.
0: There were more than 1,300 new confirmed cases of coronavirus Wednesday. That's the largest one-day increase since mid-April. 36 more deaths were reported. The latest total is 2,650 fatalities in the Sunshine State. More violence reported across the state in protest against police brutality. Governor Ron DeSantis thanks peaceful demonstrators and says rioting will not be tolerated. He's also sending 500 soldiers from the Florida National Guard to help provide security in and around Washington, D.C. Florida politicians are lining up to denounce the cops who killed Floyd George. The governor calls it murder.
1: When I saw the video of that cop uh, murdering George Floyd, Um, I was just absolutely appalled by what I saw.
0: Senator Marco Rubio also calls it murder. He says it's time to deal with America's racial problem.
2: This cannot be another one of those instances in which we turn the page and move forward without addressing the lingering cancer that hangs over us of racial inequality in our country.
0: The United Faculty of Florida releases its plan for the safe reopening of colleges and universities. They believe masks should be required whenever students are indoors. Now that the hurricane season is underway, disaster planners are facing a trifecta of misery. Hurricanes, pandemic, and racial unrest. It's forcing them to rewrite the rules for responding to a storm. We'll also check out your political calendar of events and check in with Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, June 4th. The anniversary of the Battle of Midway back in 1942. No, if not for Midway, we might be speaking Japanese or German right now. Governor Ron DeSantis is sending 500 soldiers from the Florida National Guard to help secure Washington, D.C., and he's warning that rioting will not be tolerated in the Sunshine State.
1: Statewide, there have been respectful gatherings of large crowds with isolated instances of individuals who take the opportunity to exploit these events, usually at night. Uh, to engage in unlawful activities. Uh, Arrests have been reported in Tampa, Orlando, Fort Myers, and Miami region, according to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Uh, Tampa has seen 90 arrests, Orlando 28. Um, In Tampa, one person was arrested attempting to sell Molotov cocktails from his vehicle, and another was found with a backpack full of mortars. Uh, One in Plant City and 67 in Tampa were arrested. Uh, Two civilians were reported to sustain minor injuries. One Tampa PD officer sustained minor injuries. Two vehicles were damaged when rocks were thrown at a TPD cruiser and large rocks were thrown at St. Petersburg Police Department headquarters. In Orlando, 28 arrests were made, but no significant injuries were reported to civilians. An officer was hit with a rock and received minor injuries. A man was arrested for trying to stab officers with an exposed syringe. Uh, There was vandalism at a bank and attempted to break into an ATM. Uh, Down in Miami, there was an individual arrested for attempting to incite a riot. In Fort Walton, uh, in Santa Rosa County, a person lit a small fire under a police vehicle and was arrested. Florida won't tolerate rioting, looting or violence. Uh, I want to thank the local officials, local law enforcement, the Florida National Guard, Florida Highway Patrol for, for their efforts at keeping our community safe. I also want to thank the peaceful demonstrators who have engaged in lawful First Amendment activity, some of whom have helped to stymie attempts of some protesters seeking to engage in violent activity. We really appreciate their commitment to nonviolence. Uh, So we're standing by for support with the National Guard. We have them mobilized. I have uh, Florida Highway Patrol uh, teams that have been assisting local communities. We obviously have more support there, Uh, but I would just encourage everyone to continue uh, to be peaceful. That's really the name of the game. I also announced that at the request of the Secretary of Defense, I've authorized 500 National Guardsmen to deploy to the National Capital Region. Uh, Most of them will be arriving in the region today. Uh, The federal government's helped out Florida in a number of different ways uh, since I've been governor and obviously before. Um, And so when they had a request, um, I felt it was important uh, to step up and and to to help out uh, with that.
0: The governor says Floyd George was murdered and that, that knee on neck tactic used on him is not permitted under Florida law enforcement standards.
1: When I saw the video of that cop uh, murdering George Floyd, um, I was just absolutely appalled by what I saw. But I immediately asked folks that um, FDLE and others, how in the hell could you get away with even doing that tactic? And sure enough, state of Florida, you do not put knee on. Uh, on a neck like that. Um, That is not good training. I think it's going to we're going to see whether this this cop I think he had a lot of lot of complaints. He's maybe had a lot of problems but why would you even go that route and then obviously to do it for such a length of time totally totally inappropriate. So I think you've got to look at one swift accountability not just for for uh, the officer had the knee, but the other ones that didn't do anything and then you have the DOJ with the civil rights case. And I think that's, a, that's appropriate, too, um, when you have really, really egregious situations. But I think the, everyone agrees um, that that's just totally intolerable.
0: DeSantis is not the only one speaking out about the killing of Floyd George. Florida Senator Marco Rubio brought it up during a meeting of the Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship. He, too, called it murder.
2: I want to close by saying I think it's impossible to gather here today and, and on any topic and not acknowledge what we have seen take place uh, across the country, including in my hometown of Miami and my home state of Florida, but right here where we work in Washington, D.C., as well as in New York City in Minneapolis, California, all across the country. I don't think anyone can dispute that uh, the murder of Mr. Floyd was an outrage and a crime, and that there must be justice and accountability for it. I do think, however, that for far too long in this nation we we have ignored the fact that a significant percentage of the American family feels like their lives are not valued to the same extent and their problems are ignored because of the color of their skin. No nation can be successful when a substantial percentage of your population feels that they are treated unfairly as a matter of course The anger and the frustration that we see is, is I believe, not simply isolated uh, to one very tragic instance of a murder, but it goes beyond it. And it's more than just the other incidents that we have seen pile up over the years. I think it also includes issues like the already disproportionate harm to communities of color, which have come about as a result of this pandemic and of other economic uh, situations that have emerged that have led to what when you look at the numbers are clearly disparities and inequities in our society that fall along racial and ethnic lines. And so in the context of the jurisdiction of this committee, ensuring that the worker focused economic relief of the PPP makes it to small business in these communities was a priority before the last few days and I think takes on heightened importance now. The work of this committee has its own part to play in helping address the economic disparities facing uh, Americans of color during this crisis. This cannot be another one of those instances in which we turn the page and move forward without addressing the lingering cancer that hangs over us of racial inequality in our country, which includes, obviously, how how minority communities feel they're treated by authorities, but isn't just limited to that.
0: State Senator Gary Farmer says there's a reason for the resurgence of racial strife in America, and he lives in the White House.
3: Our lives were rocked uh, 75 days ago by this COVID pandemic. But when you think about the pandemic of racism that our African-American and other minority friends have been suffering under for centuries, it's really uh, disheartening that we continue to have these reminders and we continue to have this infestation of racism. And despite all the past promises that have been made uh, over those centuries to address this pandemic, we still haven't found a cure or a vaccine. And now largely because of the rhetoric coming from, of all people, the president, our president of our United States, who has unearthed, and released from the shadows an even larger faction uh, of racism and hatred and white supremacy and uh, numerous phobias, whether it's homophobia or racial phobia. It's because of our president, it's okay to be openly racist again to many people. And, And that is just incredibly unbelievable uh, that, that the leader of the greatest country in the free world would be fanning the flames of this type of hatred and intolerance.
0: And Broward County Sheriff Gregory Toney, one of only a handful of black sheriffs in Florida, says it's more than just Donald Trump. It's the system. It was Senator Farmer who mentioned uh, about the appalling aspects of openly racism that's coming from uh, the president, the White House. it is not just the openly racism that plagues us as Black people in this country. It is the hidden racism. The hidden racism that is listed within institutions, the unfair practices that exist, the the economic um, burdens that we have and the unfair aspects of uh, growth and educational opportunities. All these things align itself to witnessing the acceptance of a brutal
2: murder of a black man in america
0: as protests continue around the state and the country prosecutors in minnesota announced they had filed a second degree murder charge against ex-cop derek chauvin and charged three more former officers in the death of floyd george The governor says we're going into phase two of the recovery from COVID-19. Well, most of us anyway. Miami-Dade, Broward and Palm Beach counties will remain in phase one because they've had the most cases of the virus and are still recovering. But Ron DeSantis has signed an executive order moving the rest of the state into phase two on Friday. So drink up, Florida.
1: In our phase two, we will be going uh, with bars, being able to operate consistent with this guidance, diminished standing room occupancy, so basically outdoor seating with social distance, um, a certain amount indoors, but you're seated to get served. I mean, we people go enjoy have a drink. It's fine. Uh, We want to kind of uh, not have huge crowds piling in. Uh, And so phase two will be our 64 counties, Miami, Broward and Palm Beach may seek approval, uh, have a plan submitted through the mayor or the county administrator. But they're on a little bit different schedule. We've worked with them collaboratively. We're going to continue to do that as we go forward. So the changes will be restaurants have been able to to do the social distance seating. They can seat people on a bar now if they want to with the appropriate measures and then bars and pubs may operate at 50% capacity inside full capacity outside and it's going to be seated service. I think that that makes a lot of sense, you know, as we kind of just inch into phase two um, to to do it in a way that's that's very, uh, very measured. Um, you obviously, we've had retail operating. The main thing is social distancing, sanitation protocols. We had a lot of retail operating throughout this whole thing—Home Depot, all these places. Uh, so, not a huge change there. Gyms, uh, social distancing, sanitation—those uh, have been, um, you know, open now for, for several weeks. Uh, so, um, we want obviously want people to be in shape. We think that that's good for uh, for, for general health. Entertainment. So things like movie theaters and in um, bowling alleys, uh, they have a 50% capacity, appropriate social distancing and sanitation protocols. Those had not been operating up to this point. Uh, you know, they now have a pathway to do that. Um, and I think if you, if you do the distancing and sanitation like some other states have done, uh, I think it's probably uh, going to be something that, that will work out for them. You know we're really fortunate in the state of Florida, particularly these 64 counties. It's not like there haven't been challenges. I mean there obviously you know are challenges, uh, but I think generally speaking uh, have weathered this much better than anyone predicted. Now the virus isn't gone. Uh, I think that we're testing a lot. Uh, we are identifying cases, particularly in prisons, amongst agriculture workers, amongst areas where you have a lot of congregation close quarters for a long period of time. Uh, and so we're going to continue to keep an eye on that, continue to, to test in those areas. Um, you know, but I think we have an opportunity uh, to continue to move forward in a safe, smart, step by step approach. I think it'll give more people in Florida, more opportunities. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's the right way to go forward. So, uh, this is going to take effect this Friday and we'll work with the three Southeast Florida counties to see how they're they're developing and and whether they wanna move into phase two. But for now, the 64 counties uh, moving forward to the next step.
0: The United Faculty of Florida releases its recommendations on how to reopen state colleges and universities that were closed for COVID. UFF president, Dr. Karen Morian, says their plan is designed to make students, faculty, and administrators feel safe when they return to campus.
4: We're hoping that this document will be of help to the presidents and the administrators of the 40 institutions of public higher education in Florida. We know they've sort of been left to create their own plans. Uh, We're hoping that the community and the faculty and the students and the staff that are involved in those discussions, as well as those presidents and administrators, find this document helpful. Um, We feel like there's a lot of good building blocks in it. Uh, There's a lot of concerns that we wanted to make sure we're not overlooked. Uh, It's not just about getting bodies back on campus, but how do you do that safely? How do you do that so that students who have, we know, uh, raised anxiety over COVID-19, the concerns of their parents about their students returning safely, that all of that is taken into account. Um, as well as what we've discovered is this massive digital divide that we have here in Florida. And so we want to make sure that all students, whether they're going to be on campus or in a hybrid class or online classes, that they have all of the tools that they need to succeed. And so that's one of the things that we included in it. A big piece of that is how do you pay for it? And if you've gotten down to the bottom of the document, you saw that there is a lot of money out there that we think should be drawn on in order to do proper sanitation, in order to do proper social distancing, in order to fill these technological gaps that we have. We hope uh, that all of our allies in public education as well as all those concerned with public education and higher education in Florida will help us um, shake that money loose There's rainy day funds, there's foundation money, there's reserves, there's more money for higher education in the HEROES Act, which has passed the House. And we hope everyone concerned will help us in urging our two Florida senators to vote for passage of the HEROES Act. And that our administration and our leaders, uh, especially at the state level, take into account that we need to maintain our funding or we're not eligible for the maximum amount of money that could come our way. So we're asking, to maintain the funding levels that we've had in the last three years in the state of Florida so that we are eligible for the maximum money when HEROES passes.
0: The faculty union says colleges and universities need resources to test, trace contacts, and isolate new cases on campus. Every room must have an alcohol-based hand sanitizer at the entrance and a supply of antiviral hand wipes or disinfecting spray. Students would be required to use it. Every classroom should be disinfected every night. And Morian says they're also recommending that face masks be mandatory inside classrooms and buildings until there's a vaccine.
4: The best recommendations we can get from public health officials is that's what's going to help keep us safe. I've heard from some faculty, if their uh, college does not include that, that they may make it a a classroom requirement in their syllabus. So people know ahead of time that that's going to be one of the things that they're going to need to do to walk in the door. Just like you got to wear shoes in the shopping store. You know, (laughs) there are are public safety um, things. And I think that this is going to help. Uh, keep us all from breathing on each other. And we know that the breathing droplets is part of how it spreads. Uh, We know that if both people are masked, the uh, risk of transmission between two people who do accidentally get a little too close on social distancing, that this will diminish that greatly. So we hope they take that seriously. The institutions all have the ability to make uh, policies about campus activities, uh, just like you, There's no underage drinking on campus. There are no firearms on campus. Those kinds of things are uh, written in policy and this is something that we hope that they will add to that policy list.
0: These recommendations are being sent to the governor and he hasn't seen them yet, but Ron DeSantis says reopening higher ed is essential to the state's economic recovery. He's waiting on recommendations from the board of governors of the state university system.
1: Florida's universities develop a task force to create a framework to reopen the campuses and they are gonna present their plans on June 23rd I think having our universities operating again is very, very important. And so we want to stress um, uh, that we, we have confidence in their ability to come up with good plans and to be able to move forward.
0: Next on Sunrise, we'll check with disaster experts who face an unprecedented challenge this year. They're trying to come up with hurricane shelter plans in the midst of a deadly pandemic while racial unrest is roiling the nation. You're listening to the Sunrise podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged.
1: Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local health care provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org slash COVID for more information.
0: Welcome back to Sunrise. This is the fourth day of the hurricane season and disaster planners are trying to prepare for the worst, but they're facing a situation they've never had to deal with before. Frank Rollison is the director of emergency management in Dade County, and he's trying to figure out how they can shelter people from a hurricane while engaging in social distancing to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in a county that has more cases than any other in the state.
5: Uh, we will open up uh, up to a category three. We will open up double the amount of uh, shelters or evacuation centers than we normally would. And that will allow us to, uh, to double the space. Typically we um, allow 20 square feet, five by four for each uh, occupant, which is pretty tight. So we're looking to try to get that close to 40 square feet. But again, as soon as we do that, we reduce our capacity uh, by half. But if it's a smaller storm and we open up more shelters, uh, more evacuation centers, then uh, we will, uh, we will be able to accommodate that with more distancing Two other things that we are, uh, working on presently to incorporate into the evacuation centers with the school people. One is we are, uh, we've already installed in the EOC, these, uh, uh, ultraviolet light fans that kill the virus and circulation in the air. We're looking at putting those in the shelters in the congregate areas uh, because not only is social distancing an issue with at least six feet, which is, you know, tough to get if we really got to pack people in, but it's the time, how long you are inside these areas where that may have the virus. And so uh, we need to try to clean that air as much as we can. The CDC recently has said that they're more concerned with the airborne virus than they are with the virus on the surface. So this thing is continually changing. So that's an issue that we can address with these fans. And the other thing we're looking to uh, do is to actually put partitions in the shelters. And we're working with the, uh, the vendor that uh, set up the, uh, mobile, uh, uh hospitals here in Dade County, one on Miami Beach and one at the youth fairgrounds, uh, where they did put these uh dividers in. So we would put those dividers in and uh, have those on standby probably in uh, uh tractor trailers that are either staged in a particular area or at the schools themselves uh, to be able to uh cut down on the distance and the exposure of the uh people. We will screen the residents when they come in. We'll take their temperature. We'll ask them if the the typical questions of are they feeling any symptoms or have they been uh, cohabitating or if they themselves have been a COVID uh, uh, patient and we will separate or segregate those people from the general population. If they've been with a family, we'll move the entire family together. And the other thing we'll do is we'll stagger the feeding so that everybody's not in line. Either we'll bring the food to them in the, in the little cubicle areas, or we will uh, stage it in a way so that probably about the time you finish eating breakfast, it'll be time to get back in line again for lunch. But uh, that's uh, sort of it in a nutshell as we're facing this uh, pandemic combined with a uh,
0: hurricane. But it's more than just hurricanes, more than just the pandemic. When you add in the racial unrest that has emerged since the killing of Floyd George, Karen Boulter of the Florida Hurricane Response Hub says it's a perfect storm and they've never had to deal with a sort of trifecta of misery.
6: So we have this unique situation here that's not in any of these plans, where we're seeing three hazards unfold simultaneously and they're intimately connected and they're influencing the ways that people need to prepare and respond to them. We just started hurricane season. We're still being cautious of social distancing. Now we have protesting, civil unrest. And so this is the triple threat, pandemic, hurricane, civil disturbance. And among all these hazards, there's particular individuals that are more at risk. And those disadvantaged communities are being hit the worst. All of the data is showing Black and Hispanic populations are the ones being exposed to the virus more. They're the ones losing jobs and they're tired of all the injustices that have been piling up for them. And I was just hearing on the news this morning, all these different ways that the pandemic is highlighting economic inequality for black workers, how studies show that white people without a college degree are earning more than black people that have earned one. And then we have a hurricane, it's mainly the low-income minority communities that are going to be needing these hurricane shelters and the assistance. And then on top of all of that, we always, there's always the additional threat of climate change. Climate change is a threat multiplier. It's going to exacerbate all of these issues.
0: The hurricane season ends at the end of November. If only we could say the same about COVID-19, or racial injustice, or climate change. Well, at least they're reopening the bars. Your calendar of events starts at 8 in the morning. That's when the Florida Board of Pharmacy holds a conference call. The Florida Supreme Court meets at 9 to hear arguments in three cases, including death penalty cases from Polk and Escambia counties. The Florida State University Board of Trustees meets online at 9. At the same time, the University of Florida Board of Trustees begin two days of meetings with a COVID-19 update, and they'll talk about a reopening strategy. The FAMU Board of Trustees meets by conference call at 1040. Among the issues, COVID-19 and an operational plan for the university. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. The Board of Nursing meets in a conference call later in the afternoon. And today is the final day of the disaster preparedness tax holiday as the hurricane season begins. This is your last chance to avoid paying the sales tax on things like flashlights, tarps, and emergency generators. And finally, it's time to check in with Florida Man. A Florida man goes on Facebook to let everyone know he supports peaceful protests but will not tolerate riots and is highly recommending people shoot any looter who tries to break into their homes. That advice comes from none other than Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd, who also issued a warning to protesters that he believes traveled to Polk County just to stir up trouble, saying they will go directly to the county jail. And a Florida woman is behind bars after police say she inhaled some chemical aerosol and then tried to run over a cop. Police found 50-year-old Brenda Giffen Nichols slumped over in her car. When an officer tried to help her by getting medical attention, she put the car into reverse and backed into another cop who was not injured. Giffen Nichols is charged with attempted aggravated assault and inhaling harmful chemicals. They found three cans of compressed air inside her car.